Scripture. But now, as I get started today, and, and this is a great day uh, to worship the Lord, I, I have to admit that spring so far has been a little gloomy for me. Anybody else feel the same way? Spring's been a little gloomy. It's not because we've had a lot of gloomy days either. It's been so gloomy because you, you do know we're in March Madness, right? And there was no UK men's team in it, <laughs> right? And for all the Louisville fans out there, we got some Louisville fans. There was no Louisville men's in it either, right? So been kind of a gloomy spring, has it not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, I'll tell you the worst part for Kentucky fans was this. It's the fact that we felt that like we were lied to, Right? You go back to the fall, and man, all the talk in the fall was, I mean, got all these new recruits that have come on. This team is gelling. They're, they're going to be one of the best we've ever had. In fact, they were top uh, season, top five ranked, right? And so the, it was off the charts, all the expectations. And then the, the season started, and what did we get? <laughs> we got one of the worst teams in UK hi- history, right? One of the worst ones ever. And uh, all, all, what happened is UK fans moved to this thing where well, now we don't believe anything our coach says. We think he's always lying to us. We, we look at the future and it kind of looks a little dark. And we think, well, what does the future of Kentucky basketball look like? In fact, let's just fire the coach, all right? We need a new one, so let's move on uh, because they've lied to us. And so we, it's just, you got to do something better, right? Well, here's the reality. We're not here to talk about basketball this morning, Right? Uh, this is Easter Sunday, the day we celebrate the resurrection. And this day is the highlight of the year for Christians. Easter is greater than Christmas. And in reality, nothing comes close to the hope and the joy of Easter. At least not when you understand what we're celebrating. Because Jesus' resurrection from the dead changes everything, right? But here's an important question. What if it's not real? In fact, what if we've been lied to? Wonder if the greatest thing that we say that has ever happened didn't happen, and it was all just a lie. I mean, that's a good question, isn't it? In fact, it's one that Paul is addressing here in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, Hopefully, you have a Bible with you, and if you don't have a Bible, see me after the service. I'd love to do nothing better today than give you a gift of a Bible uh, for this Easter Sunday. But if you have your turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. And what we're going to see here is Paul addressing the reality of the resurrection. And look how he begins in verse 12. He says, now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. You see, Paul was dealing with a group of people who said, it's a lie that there's a resurrection. There is no resurrection, they said. This group possibly could have been associated with the Sadducees. Some of you may have heard of the Sadducees and the Pharisees in the Bible with the Sadducees. They did not believe that there was a resurrection. And so they openly deny that there was this resurrection. Uh, many group, whatever this group is, truly just said, listen, I don't know what you're talking about this resurrection. It doesn't happen. Because in fact, in that world and time, Greek philosophy clearly saw the body and the spirit as completely separated. And so once the body died, it was their belief that the spirit separated and that was it. And so Paul wanted something very clear, that if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Jesus has not been raised, then there is no Easter, no Easter Sunday. You tell me, would that be a game changer? Absolutely, right? If you look and say, well, I'm not sure it would be a game changer if there was not a resurrection. Well, let's consider what Paul said because he made it clear what is on the line when it comes to the resurrection of the dead and specifically the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen as he continues to write in verse 14. And he says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Let's stop right there. 
According to the words of Paul, if Christ has not been raised, then we are wasting our time this morning. What we are doing here, why are we here, all right? We're wasting our time if Christ hasn't been risen. If Christ has not been risen, I'll tell you what, I'm just wasting my breath today. I should just go ahead and be quiet and sit down because there's no purpose in what I'm doing today if Christ hasn't been risen. Not only that, if Christ has not been raised, then what I've spent the last 28 years of my life been doing, it's all been in vain. And think about this. It also means that every time you've ever walked into the church building or every time you've ever spent reading your Bible or doing anything that involves your faith, it is a waste. Ouch, right? Clearly, the resurrection is a big deal. This one verse makes it clear. But Paul's not even finished because he goes on to say this in verse 15. He says, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. You see, Paul here goes on to say that if Christ has not been raised, not only is what we've been doing in vain, he said we've been liars. Remember I said as Kentucky fans, one of the parts that hurt the worst is it seems that we were lied to. I mean, if they had just told us this team was going to be bad, it might have still hurt a little bit, but we'd have been okay, right? We'd have been prepared. But the fact that they lied to us makes things worse. And Paul said, listen, if there's no resurrection, what we've been saying about God loving us and Jesus Christ rising from the dead was God's act of love to save us. Listen, if there's no resurrection, that's not true. And it means we've been lying about God. We've been lying about who God is and what he's done. We've been misrepresenting who God is. In fact, maybe God doesn't love us and maybe God doesn't forgive. But Paul goes on. He says, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. See, Paul reiterates the fact that your faith is in futile if there is no resurrection. But here he gets more specific and to the point and said that if Christ has not risen, you are still in your sins. And what would he mean by that? You're still in your sins. It would probably most likely be twofold. First, it would mean this, that you are still controlled by your sin. In other words, sin has a grip on your life and is dictating much of what you do. The scriptures are very clear that without Jesus, people are enslaved to sin. As much as people like to think they are in control of their own lives, in reality, people are often controlled by the sins in their life. And so first, Paul would mean that if there's no resurrection, then sin still controls you. Then second, if you are still in your sins, then you are not forgiven. And there's a punishment for your sin coming someday. There will be a day when you have to answer for all the sin in your life. I mean, what a depressing thought, right? And as bad as that is, there's more because following these words, Paul goes on to even write this, then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. You see, Paul gets real plain here and says, if Christ has not been raised, then everyone who has ever died has simply perished. Life for them is over. They have been put in the ground and that is it. There is no hope beyond this life. He would probably say this, all right? Then don't sing, go rest high at their funeral. Or don't sing, I can only imagine at their funeral. Because if there is no resurrection for the dead, then there is nothing to look forward to. There is no heaven. In fact, if Christ has not been raised, Paul says, then we are to be pitied. Why do we be pitied? Because if there is no resurrection, the only thing that Jesus offers to us today is a good moral example of how you live life of how to treat people and how to kind of go through life in a moral way. That's all he is. He offers us some good teaching and a, and a good example of how you live life. If there is no resurrection, that's all we have. In other words, all Jesus offers to us is some temporary direction in a lost world, but he offers us nothing of real significance. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was to stop right there, I might be a little depressed. 
I might wonder, do I really have any hope? What is certain is what Paul has said here begs us to answer the question, has Jesus been resurrected from the dead? Is what we are celebrating at Easter really something we should celebrate? We have to answer that question because so much hinges on that answer. The answer to that question is indeed life-changing. Well, here is what Paul says next in verse 20. He says, but in fact, look at this, but in fact, all right, this is not a lie, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. Hallelujah, right? Paul just quickly moves to what he knows to be a fact. That Jesus indeed has been risen from the dead. Now, how could Paul so easily and boldly proclaim that? Well, Paul of all people could attest to the truth of Jesus' resurrection because he had a unique and powerful encounter with the risen Lord. Think about this. Here's Paul, a man who first off, he tried to quiet those who proclaimed a risen Jesus. He sought to kill those who said Jesus had resurrected. There were a good number of people who had experienced Jesus risen, and they were testifying what Jesus had done and who he was. And the religious authorities were threatened by Jesus, and so they wanted to squelch the people's talk about the resurrected Jesus. And they wanted to keep people from following him. And Paul became one of those who was trying to keep the truth of Jesus from going forth, even killing believers, until he had an encounter on the road to Damascus. As he was going once again to quiet people up and say, don't talk about this risen Jesus. This is what happened in Acts 9. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am the Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now keep this in mind. This encounter comes after Jesus had been resurrected. And when Paul, who was at the time called Saul, heard his voice and asked who was talking, he says, Jesus, I am Jesus. And so I hope you understand clearly what is happening here. Do you understand what's happening? This is Paul having an encounter with the risen Jesus Christ. And so how could Paul say Jesus has been risen from the dead? Because he personally experienced the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, as I stand for you today and I affirm what Paul said and say that is true, how can I say that I believe Paul? How can I confirm what Paul said is true? Because I'm here to tell you this morning, I've had my own personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it may not have been a bright light on the road to Damascus. It might might not have been that voice that said, I am Jesus. But it was a time where in my spirit, God convicted me of who he was and my need for a savior. And I cried out to the risen Lord and I invited Jesus into my heart and he changed me forever. And I can tell you, an encounter with the risen Lord will change your life. And so I proclaim to you today, as Paul did, indeed, Christ has risen from the dead. And because of that, I've experienced joy of coming to know the Lord. And many of you here by your amens, I know you've experienced him too, right? If you're here today and that's not enough for you, let me challenge you to do something. Go and do a study. Seek to discover if the claims of Jesus are true. If you do an honest study, here's what you'll discover, that even outside of those in the religious world, there is historic evidence that Jesus was raised from the dead. And we could go through that evidence this morning, but I've done that in the past, so I'm not going to do that today. But here's what I want to do quickly on this Easter Sunday, is discuss what it means that Jesus has indeed been risen. 
I could go back and I could look at all of the things that Paul said that, that were true if there was no resurrection. But I'm not going to do that for time's sake. Here's what I want to do. I want to just talk about three things, three big truths that exist because Jesus has been raised. The first is this. Because the resurrection is true, you can trust. Lives become changed because of the preaching of God's word because it can be trusted. Not only is the preaching of God's word a great thing, but also because Jesus has raised from the dead, God's word by itself has great value. I mean, what is the Bible? When I look at this and say, what, what is this thing? Here, here's what it is. This is the testimony of God. Is it right? It's a testimony of what God is doing and his work in the world. It includes the testimony of the prophets. It includes the testimony of the apostles. It includes the testimony of those God's inspired to record his internal truth, including today the testimony of the apostle Paul. And listen to what the psalmist said about the testimony of the Lord. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is what? Sure, making wise the simple. I love that. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Because Jesus has risen, you can trust his word. You can trust his testimony. This has to be infection of Jesus. That sins, I read the words that if Christ has not been risen, then you are still in your sins. Uh, folks, that sin steals joy, sings emptiness. Sin brings death. Sin, world today. Sin. Right. Go ahead and fill in the blank with any number of bad things. Because of these things that are happening, sin is the cause of all of this bad stuff. You realize that, right? right? The answer is sin is what's causing all this brokenness in the world. Therefore, we know we need an answer to our sin problem, and that answer is Jesus Christ. The risen Jesus Christ. Look again how Paul stated it in this chapter. He said, For as by man came death, by man has also come the resurrection of the dead, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Catch that. All shall be made alive. Paul points back to Adam, the first man who sinned and allowed sin to enter the world. Through his sin came death. Now, here's a, here's a truth. All right? We focus much on the fact of sin and that the wages of sin is death. We even focus much on Jesus' death that paid for sin. I mean, we hang crosses in our church, do we not? We wear them as, as jewelry around our neck. We, we point all the time to Jesus' death, with, which paid for the price of mankind's sin. Jesus, the perfect one who offered up his life as a substitute. But notice, Paul made something very clear. Are you ready? It is his resurrection that brought life. Maybe we should do this. Maybe instead of hanging a cross on the wall, we ought to hang an empty tomb on the wall. Or an empty tomb around our neck. Why don't we do that? Is it too big? Is it too big? Well, maybe I just put, let's just put a big hole back there and say, I mean, he's, he's risen, right? The tomb is empty. Why don't we just do that? Because it is the resurrection that gives us life. You see, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead first reminds us Jesus is who he said he was. He was the son of God. He was the perfect lamb sacrifice for mankind. But most importantly, his resurrection says there is hope beyond our sin. There is life possible after the death that sin brought. Let's consider for just a moment what it means that Jesus has risen and that we are no longer in our sin. It means, first of all, that sin no longer controls you. Are you ready for this? The grave couldn't hold Jesus. And if you give your life to Jesus, sin cannot control you. You can put sin aside. You can say no to sin. There is a hope that you can live differently by the power of Jesus. This Jesus who raised from the dead can free you from your sin and give you a new way of life. 
Now, with that, you can also know that you don't have to live in shame. You may have messed up in the past, but through Jesus, there is forgiveness and shame removed. In your life, if you're hindered because of past regret, you need to know that Jesus, as your Savior, wants to give you a fresh start. You don't need to be mired in sin anymore. Your sins can be forgiven. Praise the Lord, right? Another aspect of this forgiveness that is true is that if Jesus made you alive is you don't have to try to earn God's good graces. You don't have to earn that. God gives you his grace because he is a gracious God. And here's what God simply wants from you is your faith, a faith that trusts him and a faith that follows him, not seeking to earn his love, but living in light of the love that you have already received. And let me tell you, there's a huge difference in trying to live to earn love versus living in love. Huge difference. What God wants you to do is live in light of that love, not try to earn his love. Because Jesus has risen from the dead, you can be forgiven and related to that. Because Jesus has risen, you can have eternal life. Now, I separate the two in part because Paul did, but also because we relate one more in the here and now and the other to what has come. Forgiveness, we think here in, 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 we think in part here and now, eternal life, we tend to think what is to come. In reality, hear me, they both affect the here and now and they both affect what is to come. When Paul said, if Christ hasn't risen, then those who have died have perished, he was speaking a harsh truth. If Jesus has not risen, there is no hope beyond this life. However, if Jesus has risen from the dead, then there is hope beyond this life. There is the hope of eternal life. The fact that you have eternal life waiting for you should make a huge difference in your life. In fact, I saw something the other day. I'm not sure exactly where. I know it was on social media somewhere, but I don't know exactly where I saw it. But it said something like this. Listen to it. You've heard it said that life is short, so make the most of it. However, eternity is forever, so make sure you prepare for it. That's a good thought provoker, is it not? Take that with you and stew on it all day today, all right? So often we are just focused on this life when the life we should focus on is the one to come. In fact, when you live with eternity in view, you find an unshakable hope for this present, all right? Your views, you view things differently when you live in light of heaven and you live differently in light of this new view that's, that's to come. Think about what Paul said in his second letter to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, he wrote these words. He said, so we do not lose heart. Though outwardly our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. As we look not to those things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. In other words, when you look to to eternity, even our present difficulties look different because we know compared to what we have waiting for us in heaven, any difficulty we face today is nothing. We understand those difficulties are really preparing us for something greater awaiting in heaven. See, think about this. Heaven is perfect. Everything in the present falls short. Are you aware of that? Think about this. If you put your hope in your kids, you will be disappointed. And you know why? Because your kids will disappoint you. Right? It's like the first service. All the parents are going like this. All the kids are saying, what are y'all talking about this like that for? <laughs> what? It's just the way it is. Every kid at some point in time will disappoint their parents. So if your hope is on your kids, you're going to be disappointed. If you put your hope in any relationship, can I go ahead and tell you, you're going to be disappointed. Why? Because everyone hurts you at some point in life. 
even if it's just in a small way. And so if you're putting your hope on any relationship, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be hurt down the road because that relationship is going to hurt you. If you put your hope in a job, you're going to be disappointed. Why? Because every one of us realizes something at one point or another, we're replaceable. Somebody else can do my job. I am not indispensable. And so if our hope's in our job, listen, we get disappointed. If you put your hope in money, you'll be disappointed because you realize this, a little bit more didn't satisfy you, right? You got it. You got that little bit more you hoped for, but it came and then it didn't satisfy. So you're disappointed. If you put your hope in yourself, guess what? You're going to be disappointed. How often do you disappoint yourself? Every day. If you put your hope in yourself, we could go on this morning, but hear me, folks. When you look to heaven, you find true fulfillment, and the things of this world are not as important because when you look to heaven, you find the only thing that can fulfill. You find that Savior who loves you, who died for you, and when you put your faith and trust in him and you're living for him, it changes everything. You live differently. Why? Because you begin to do what Jesus said in Matthew 7 when he said, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where the thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, when you live life knowing that you have eternal life and you keep that in view, you begin to vest in the things that make a difference for eternity, not just the things of the here and now. You don't have to have the biggest house or the newest model car or the most well-known name. Instead, you become concerned about helping others in need, sacrificing to do the work of God, becoming involved with activities that you believe will make a difference in the lives of others and that will please God and make a difference for eternity. Ultimately, your biggest concern becomes helping others come to know the love of God. And you know what I've discovered along the way? When you live in light of eternity and live that way, that's where you find true joy. When you concentrate on the things of heaven, that's where you find your greatest fulfillment. So the good news for us today is because Jesus has risen, there is the hope of eternal life and the joy that comes with it. Summarize, that means we have the opportunity. You ready? We have the opportunity to live life differently, to have a changed life. In fact, look at where this takes Paul in verses 32 and 34. He said, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as it is right. Do not go on sinning, for some have knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. You see, Paul takes it a step further than I did. Paul's a little more harsh. See, I speak it kind of softly, and I say the resurrection gives you the possibility, the opportunity to live a new life. That's not Paul. Paul's a little harsher than I am, all right? He's a little more blunt than I am because this is basically what he said, you ready? He said the resurrection demands a different way of life. You catch that? Demands a different way of life. It's not an option. Once again, he's plain. He says if there is no resurrection... He said, if there is no resurrection, then do this. Just go out and and, and eat and drink, for tomorrow you die. If there is no resurrection, life has no ultimate purpose. There's no eternity to look forward to. So indulge yourself. Don't worry about anything else. However, Paul is saying if the resurrection is true, and it is, your life should without a doubt be lived differently. 
Paul urges us here, do not be deceived. He says, don't listen to bad company that tries to tell you it doesn't matter how you live. Don't listen to bad company that tells you there is no God. Don't listen to bad company that tells you God doesn't love you. Don't listen to the bad company that tells you there is no eternal life. Don't listen to the bad company that says there is no resurrection. Instead, Paul says, wake up to the truth. In fact, Paul, again, is a little more harsh because he says, wake up from your drunken stupor. In other words, sober up. He is saying to fail to recognize the resurrection and to fail to live life differently is akin to being drunk and out of your mind. Think clearly, he is saying, and see what is truly best for your life. Now, again, I'm not quite as harsh as Paul is. I'd probably be a little softer in the way I said that, all right? I probably wouldn't say, wake up from your drunken stupor. Here's the image that comes to mind, though, and I hope it gives you the same thing. Here's what I would say. I, I, I picture Christmas morning, and I picture Christmas morning in a house that have a lot of siblings, all right? And so one of the siblings wakes up early on Christmas morning. What kind of mood do you think they're in? Little kid. Are they excited? All right, ready to get down, ready on the prayer. So what does that sibling do with the other siblings? Huh? Wake up! It's Christmas morning! What are you doing sleeping? Get up! Let's go open our presents! Let's have fun! This is awesome! Don't sleep! Right? Right? There's so much to experience. What are we sleeping for? That's what Paul is really saying to believers. Wake up from your stupor. Christ is risen. Our lives should be changed this morning. You see, some are here and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. I I want you to know that Jesus has been risen and because of that, you can trust his words, your sins can be forgiven and you can have eternal life. Wake up. Wake up this morning. You don't have to stay in your sin. Sin doesn't have to control you anymore. God has a new life waiting for you. Wake up and receive the new life that he offers. As it tells us in Romans 10, 9 and 10, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. What I'm saying to some of you this morning, come, confess Jesus and be saved from your sin. Wake up and recognize your need for Jesus because life is better with the Lord. But I know many of you who are listening to me today, you'd say you've already given your life to Jesus. However, this is where I'm going to be playing like Paul. You are asleep. You're not living for the Lord. In fact, the whole purpose of this series, Faith Is, that we're ending today, it was to encourage believers to understand that if you have a genuine faith, there's a different way we are called to live. As we've seen along the way, believers, we're called to love like no other, right? We are called to love radically. We're even called to love our enemies, But we need to wake up. Why? Because we who say we are believers in Christ are loving like the world. We're loving those who love us and we're hating our enemies. And God says, that's not who we're supposed to be. Wake up and let's live differently. Remember a couple weeks ago, God called us to forgive, right? 
And not just to forgive once or twice or three times, but we forgive and we forgive and we forgive and we forgive. Even doing good to those who have harmed us. Christian, let's wake up. Because are we not like the world today? Holding grudges, being mad at those who have hurt us. And God says it's time to live differently. Remember we saw along the way, we're called to rejoice in our suffering. And so that the world looks at us and said, how, how can you handle that the way you're handling it? How can you have joy in the midst of what you're going through? And we're to be able to look at them and say, listen, I have a Savior who died for me. And I have a Savior who is risen. I have an eternal hope that's waiting for me. And no matter what's going on in this world, it's nothing compared to what is waiting. And so I can have joy because of my risen Savior. And yet many of us as Christians, we're walking around like the rest of the world. Poor me. God's saying, wake up. We're called to be different. We, the people of God, are asleep. And he's calling us to wake up. What I'm saying to every believer here this morning is like Paul said, don't let the bad company around you influence you in such a way that you fail to live for God. Living for God is always the best option. And as Paul said, if you're a believer in sinning, stop sinning. Let's wake up and live knowing that God's word can be trusted as our source of truth. Let's wake up and live knowing that our sins can be forgiven through Jesus Christ. Let's wake up and live knowing we have eternal life and then live for eternity. Let's give ourselves to storing up things on heaven and not on earth. See, today is Easter. Jesus is alive, amen? The resurrection is real. And therefore, we have a faith that is life-changing. I wanna ask you as we close, have you let faith in Jesus change you? If not, today is a day to experience the life-changing truth of the resurrection. Let's pray. Father, we bow to your presence today. Coming to you on this Easter morning, thanking you, Lord, that the resurrection is true. And knowing that because of that, God, our lives can radically be changed. And I don't know what the needs are in this place this morning, Father. My, my guess is they're varied. There are some here this morning who have never given their life to Jesus. They're still trapped in their sin, controlled by their sin, living for their sin, and Father, I know you're calling to them today and say, I provided a way for you to be set free. And you're calling out to them to give their life to Jesus, the one who died to pay the price of their sin, but Father, who rose to give them a new life. And so I pray some today would come and give their life to Jesus and experience a new way to live. There are others here today, Father, who are believers. And though they've given their life to you, Lord, they're asleep and you know it. And I pray in this moment that, Father, they would hear your voice telling them to wake up, to wake up. There's so much out there to experience if they would just live for you. And I'd pray today would be the day some believers decide to wake up out of their stupor, that today is the day they decide to live for you in a life-changing way that's not only good for their life, but, Father, impacts this world and helps others come to know your amazing love. So on this Resurrection Sunday, Father, my prayer would be people would hear you calling them and that they would wake up. Because again, Father, we know you have so much waiting for us. When we open our eyes and we look to you and we live in light of your resurrection. So bless this invitation, Father. Speak to us, I pray. As I pray these things, I pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.